Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 71. As always, I am one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by my two friends and co-hosts, Alex Fastiane and Jesse Cox. Yo! Yo! How's it going, boyos? I mean... I can't see your face today, Jesse. It's throwing me off, dude. Well, I'm not where I normally am, but next week you'll (laughs) see me and we'll be fine. (laughs) We'll be fine next week. I'm here. It's not like I'm not here. (laughs) That's true. You You are here. Dude? Um, maybe. <laughs> oh my gosh! That your Alex mind is not run wild. No, I'm the same. Yeah, you know what they say: episode seventy-one is an a heavenly one. Get it? Most likely episode seventy no. fun. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be a blast! I promise you, gentlemen. And speaking of having a blast, if you're having a blast, oh my out god, there listening to this, why don't you head over to Patreon.com/slash/TheLuminatiPod? Support us on Patreon. And if you do that, not only do we get to keep making the show that you love already, but also charitable Chaluminats that we are. We have produced a 15 minute episode for every episode that we've done since episode like 40 or something. I don't know how many yeah, episodes. Somewhere around there. It's been a lot of episodes <laughs> and it's 15 minutes to like maybe an hour. Like sometimes it just goes and that's all they're waiting for you. We eventually put them out to everyone, of course, but you can go get them early. You can listen to as much little Chalumini extras as you want. And it, depending on what level you go, there's art, there's a discord, there's all kinds of great stuff. So head over to patreon.com slash pod. I'm getting up to my 10 minutes and that's all the time <laughs> I have. So thank you guys for listening to me. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That was uh, excellently done. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, that particular person will be pleased by your t- that time one filling. dude is living rent free in your brain, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> what dude? <laughs> dude? Uh, well, today uh, it is it is October at the time of this recording and the time of this going up. It is spooky season, and uh, you know we we haven't done a true spooky true crime episode. In a long time. So we're, we're stepping away from the world of the weird for a couple of episodes here as we're going to be doing a two parter because today, gentlemen, we are going to be covering the killer known as Benjamin. Bigfoot. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> known as Robert Irving, rather. Uh, Robert Irving was a killer from the 1930s who was a fantastically talented artist who uh, honestly, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it, but he's incredibly unique because I have to say this is probably one of the few like killer-esque histories that has like a cinematic quality to it um there is just that the people <laughs> that's involved, what we love in our killers if you're gonna right, murder right be dramatic about it right tommy patera had that mafia flavor to him where this guy has that kind of tortured insane artist flavor to him um it's it's a crazy crazy story and i'm excited to just dive into it with you, Do you guys think that's uh, spicy or like how would you or is it more like a tongue feel thing like what's the flavor mm, there it might be a tongue feel thing i think mm, you should try mm. try it that way i don't um, Intend to no. Oh, well, uh, you should. Uh, for those who want to kind of read along, our main uh, source for this episode is in a book by uh, by Harold Schechter called "The Mad Sculptor." Uh, it's a great history and breakdown of uh, who these people were, and honestly, the it, there's a there's more info than you'll ever need uh, in this book when it comes to this guy. So read along with it. We have a book club over the Discord as well if you want to uh, read along over there. So let's dive in without further ado, gentlemen. On August fifth. 1907, the man that would become known by many a moniker, including the Beekman Hill maniac, the Easter Sunday slayer, and the mad sculptor, a man by the name of Robert Irwin, was born. He was birthed in a gospel tent during a massive religious camp meeting held in Arroyo Seco Park, with no doctor there to assist whatsoever. This small boy would eventually be the cause of three gruesome killings, all the while believing that eventually he would become so enlightened that he would be able to traverse both time and space at will while simultaneously projecting his very thoughts into tangible matter before his very eyes simply by the power of visualization. This guy smoked the same pot as the dude from last episode. (laughs) I thought you said this wasn't going to be weird. I am a number. That's what he said. And then he murdered three people. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not weird in that, um, it's not like ghosts, you know, this guy actually existed and he truly believed at least to some degree. Wait a minute. Did you just admit ghosts don't exist, Mathis? <laughs> I have, I admit that I have not seen any evidence, evidence that they exist. 
All I'm Here's saying is say. you said, unlike Ghost, this guy existed. Well, for you, Jesse. Uh, gotcha. We got him, everybody. <laughs> no, no, we no, got you him. can't take no. We no, got him. We got to take it back. We, we got, got him. him. Now, before we continue with Jesse trying to make fun of me and trying to prove that I don't believe in Ghost Witch, Jesse, I do. Thank you very much. We have to stop for a moment and say this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. It is my greatest fear to finally have that encounter with aliens where they abduct me, I'm in the woods, I get slurped up into the sky, and they want me for their hybrid breeding program, and they're going to go ahead and take my very precious, because that's what they would, they would scoop me up for the hybrid breeding program, and they want my precious seed, and then when they try and get it, I just, it just doesn't work. Well, don't worry, everybody. No longer will that be the case if you have Blue Chew. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredient as Viagra, or Cialis. Full stomach, empty stomach, it doesn't matter. You can take it any time whenever the opportunity arises, especially if you see those blinking lights outside your window and you can feel the, the disappearance of gravity as you get slowly pulled out the window. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet little package. And right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code CHILL. Just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com, B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code CHILL. BlueChew is the better, cheaper choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help make this podcast possible, so please be sure to use our promo code CHILL at BlueChew.com. The aliens are coming. Be ready. Well, let me ask you this, Jesse. Does Superman exist or not? Superman exists in the hearts of all small children looking for heroes. Just so did, and so too do ghosts. All right, great. <laughs> Touche. But, but before we talk about dear Robert Irving's uh, atrocities and his ultimate killings, it's more interesting to dive into how he became the monster he handed up. Is this man's and name Robert Irving or Robert Irwin? Irving. 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 Or, sorry, Irwin. Sorry. I don't know why I'm saying Irving. It's Irwin. I, I wrote Irwin too. People I don't know be I'm looking Irving. this stuff up and they're like, I don't, what is he <laughs> <No>. talking about? <laughs> Robert Irwin. I don't know why I want to say Irving so badly. Um, unsurprisingly, though, his childhood was wrought with bizarre upbringings and borderline abusive parents to certain degrees. This and is also the was, name, really quick. I'm sorry. Robert Irwin. I'm just, I just yes. got to throw it out there. It's also the name of Steve Irwin's son. Uh, oh damn! So Not if you want the same Irwin, so if maybe. you want to imagine a cute little toe-headed Australian zoo boy uh, <laughs> doing this instead of this crazy artist, you can. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man! Right, Jesus Christ! Uh, Robert Irwin was the middle child of three boys. His oldest brother, Vindelin Bathurst Irwin, was a close uh, religious. What? Uh, was Wait, a rather, time out! Time out! Would you like his, his name kid's again? Family. His name was Robert, but his, his older, name was Robert Irwin. Right, but his older brother, Vindelin Bathurst Irwin. That dude lucked out. That's the best name. That guy. No wonder Robert was a killer. <laughs> He's yeah, Harry Potter. That's a what's the name from the world of Harry Potter, the Wizarding <laughs> right? World. Vindelin. Vindelin is a great name. Sounds like um, a spicy curry. <laughs> Vindelin was actually relatively close with his father for a while, and was a religious zealot who remained close to their cult-like religious father through his youth. His youngest brother, Pember Irwin. What was that? Also be Pember? Pember. P-E-M-B-E-R. Pember. Pember. So Robert was just a muggle and everyone else was a wizard. <laughs> Everybody else was a wizard. <laughs> he was a squib, so he got a he got a normal name. His dad had a boring name. We're gonna talk about him in a minute, though. Um but yeah, his youngest brother, Pember Irwin, also became an evangelist of sorts as well, as as well as an author of books, including the, but not limited to. The Antichrist Babylon and the Coming of the Kingdom. Okay. The, the Great Prophecies of the Centuries Concerning Israel and the Gentiles, as well as Mystery Babylon the Great. That last one just seems like three words that he just put together. I don't know what. Yeah, he did a low effort on the end books what there. What did the over under on his predictions coming true was? I don't know because I didn't read those books. I so just I could wanna, not tell you. For anyone out there who wants to go look this up, I'm going to wager zero. Yeah, I'm going to go with zero go, as well. I mean, you know what? Just because we're talking about, you know, like whether or not ghosts exist, I'm going to go like 3%. How about that? Okay. All right. I'm into it. 
We'll go with 3%. I'm going to go with zero still. That's fine. Um, However, as religiously zealous as both of his brothers were, they would both end up rotating in and out of prison their entire lives for various felonies. None of them, however, would reach the level of serious crimes as Robert would. But most of the time, when we speak about a serial killer or a murderer growing up, we focus on their childhood and almost exclusively their childhood. And we will. But what drew me to him so much and what makes him so unique is that his father's life leading up to the birth of Robert speaks volumes as to how he was going to be raised. And in another era, in another world, maybe maybe another 50 years if this man existed, I truly believe that his father may have been a rather successful cult leader. But we'll talk about that as we talk about him because today's episode is actually going to be very focused on the father. Their father, Benjamin Irwin, led a rather extensive and full life prior to having his three children with their mother, Mary Lee Jordan. Benjamin Irwin was born in 1854 in Missouri, and he had a normal life up until the ripe old age of nine. At nine years old, his entire family uprooted and traveled via covered wagon to the then only Nebraska territories, eventually settling down near the town of Tecumseh. Sometimes in the year following, Ben got tired of tending cattle for his father and decided to run away from the family farm, eventually finding work at a nearby stone quarry, where he then saw what would become a very lifelong love of what he said is, quote, the power of dynamite to blow things up. The power of dynamite to blow things up? Yes. (laughs) During his work at the quarry. It <laughs> sounds like something in- like the guy that you know, that kid who's like, I like turtles. <laughs> yeah. I like the power of dynamite to blow things up. <laughs> it really does. And again, this is like a 10 year old kid, 11 year old kid yeah. who ran away and then just, you know, became a quarry child. In what is that? Earth. A quarry child. It's like water. World. 18, this is like a dusty little boy who digs up treasures. <laughs> This is like 1865, 1866 at this point. I mean, not long ago, you just said Australian zoo boy. So I feel like it's roughly the same thing. He's a boy from an Australian zoo. He dresses like a little safari man. That's really what he's like. It's a a job from a quarry. He likes dynamite. He collects dynamite to blow shit up. He's very destructive. It's like a sapper from Warcraft. Oh, my God. Uh, We're moving forward, boys. Yes, he had a great love of the power of dynamite to blow things up. (laughs) He worked on the quarry for some time before moving onward. And he was largely a self-educated young man who would go on to teach in school. He eventually dabbled in local politics before moving into town proper and becoming a lawyer for eight years before eventually meeting a woman who would become his first wife where he would have his first and only child with her. So this nine and 10 year old leaves his family farm, works on a quarry, self-educates, and then becomes a teacher, a a politician, and then a lawyer. Man, again, this is all the late, this is the late 1800s. So I imagine the bar to do any of those is excruciatingly low, but still it's like fucking time traveling. That's like you you start like, (laughs) like my, like I was talking, my my grandma used to talk about living in like a tin house and like the man (laughs) she lived next to got like shot through the jaw by a guy who like came through and knocked on the door and he had to have his jaw wired shut. Like, Oh my God. And I'm like, and then, and then this guy, like, yeah, this guy started working in a quarry at age 10 and then by (laughs) like, and then he got to be a lawyer somehow. It's yeah, crazy. It's wild. I would love to have watched his life like as fly on the wall. Like, cause it's bizarre. His life is so weird and it only gets weirder. So however, however, his life being on the upswing had to eventually obviously tumble downward. And by 1879, so again, he was born in 1854. Let's do the math. Uh, he's only 25. He's tw- by the time he's 25, he's a lawyer. That is like, look, I think how fast he had to move fast forward. So by 1879, Benjamin Irwin had sunk into a very deep depression, hating himself to such a degree that he described himself as, quote, the most wicked man in the community, end quote. He claimed himself to be nothing more than a black-hearted sinner who lied to friends, cheated clients, quarreled constantly with neighbors, and beat his wife and child in a drunken rage regularly. So just an average person in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, whoa. 
And it all this was unfortunately true. So again, all by the time he was 25, he had been a lawyer for around eight years. What do you mean and he'd been a lawyer for eight years when he was 25? That's that's what I'm saying. He was a politician in like by like 19. This, none just of this what, checks 25 out. 25 minus eight. Okay, really quick. You're telling me he was a politician at that's listen. 17, 17 years old. Born in 1854, and by 1879, now did I do the math wrong? No, you did not. That's that's. I'm just going off the research. <laughs> 17 boy. year old. Let's, let's, let's not pretend that. You know, making but, it to 25 in the late 1800s is like, I'm doing just pretty blown, good. I'm just blown away by this man's trajectory of his life. I'm well, just it saying gets, it gets weirder, which is why I was like, I we need to talk about this father because his life, well, can the we way get some he clarity? led his life is that he ended up. What was that? Oh, I was going to say, can we get some clarity? Because I feel like when you say he dabbled in politics, did he was he like a campaign worker? Like he posted signs? He did, maybe he, uh, as far as we as far as uh, I was able to ascertain, he was never like a congressman or anything it came like down that. to between him and abe lincoln for the presidency <laughs> yeah yeah but when he didn't win I, he just went back and he from, went back to being a fucking cowboy seems, movie villain from what it seems like it was just minor like local politic garbage like literally just said he dabbled in local politics all so right he, so he probably showed up and was like i can post signs for you mister yeah it, it could have been a, something as simple as being like that i refuse that to believe that he was like I'm a I'm, I'm a councilman at 17, and they're like, "Well, what experience do you have?" He's like, "Well, for the last seven years, I've been working in a quarry, <laughs> and I've witnessed with my very own eyes the power of dynamite to blow things up." Have you seen dynamite? Have you seen how it can blow stuff up? Vote for me. <laughs> wow, man, sounds so smart. He's got my vote. <laughs> Jesus, that black-hearted anyway. man is so charming. He has my vote. <laughs> So behind the scenes, all of this was true, by the way. He did get drunk regularly. He beat his child and his wife regularly. And it's lucky that there's really not much known about his first child. They didn't become a regular criminal. They didn't seem to murder anybody. This is they just not kind Robert, of, right? Right. This yeah. is not Robert. This is the first wife with the only child. So they do they had. leave or? Yes. Uh, you, they leave in the, in the upcoming events that are about to happen. Ah. So in his deep depression, and in his self-loathing and desperation to save himself from himself, he did what many were doing at this time. And he threw himself full heartedly into religion. Now, this was at a point where like religion was spreading across the country like a wildfire and different types of Christianity were like, you know, weak, like every few months there was a new type of Christianity that was dominating a small town or what have you. They were very kind of cult-like in themselves. And it was at a meeting at the local Mount Zion Baptist Church where his soul was converted to Christ. Here, Benjamin learned of the two separate phases of experience for the believer. First, conversion or justification phase. It was, quote, the penitent was forgiven for actual sins of commission, becoming a Christian, but retaining a residue of sin within, end quote. This is like original sin, but like sort of like... After a while, like just accumulated, like, yeah, it's like you, the first phase, like you get wear rid of and all tear. The, <laughs> yeah, you like, you get already like all, you got like buffing out the rust of yourself. You know, you get right. all that excess sin off of you. Got that. But there was a Feel second that. phase or experience. And this was known as entire sanctification, where through divine grace, quote, purified believers of this remaining inbred sin. And it gave a person perfect love of God and humanity. So it was like the full purge of all sin. You became like a perfect being on the inside. And then he blew them up with the power of dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> He's not doing this yet. He just discovered this and he, he found his salvation in this, or at least he believed he did. This is what he thought would help him not be a piece of shit. These preachers were taking the teachings of John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism and perverting them and essentially cultifying them. And Ben went in hook, line and sinker. And on Saturday, May 16th, 1891, at 11 o'clock p.m., while in his home and in his bed with his wife, Benjamin experienced the first, or rather the second of the two phases of the believer. The first uh, was experienced when he was uh, on Mount Zion. He was just in bed and God was like, bro, you're good. Oh, here's what he experienced in, in detail. <laughs> Why do we while, know this? Why because do we know he, this wrote, in- he wrote a lot of this down. Really? He wrote a lot of it down. While gripped with the agony of realization of this experience and coming to stark face-to-face realizations with his, quote, 
turpitude and vileness, as well as his, quote, inherent depravity, he began to pray so loudly that his neighbors were woken up from their slumber. He continued later saying, quote, the floodgates of heaven were opened wide and there came into my soul a successive waves of mighty inundation of light and joy and love and father and power and glory, glory and loyalty to God. End quote. His wife must have been like, go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Like, yes. He's like 11 p.m. at night next to my wife. She's probably like this <laughs> asshole. <laughs> he's like, she he's praying so loud. His neighbors are waking up. I like, just don't that. That just seems so crazy to me. <laughs> he, this is from his. This is from his diary. Yes. He's probably these are like, from him. and then I started praying so loud that the windows burst forth <laughs> and light shone from my eyeballs and everyone in 300 miles woke up from my love of the Lord. <laughs> uh, you're not necessarily all that wrong. He then goes on to claim that he, quote, melted into a flood of tears okay. when he realized, quote, the Holy Ghost in his fullness had come into my soul and I was sanctified end quote i'm gonna i'm gonna just i'm gonna just put this out there if uh anyone ever of a religious nature is like i am pure and sanctified they have lost their mind i think <laughs> that's the whole like point of religion maybe villain. like you yeah i feel like the whole yeah. point of religion is like you never will be. That's why you keep trying. Like, God, look out for me, please. I feel like that's the whole point. Like, the whole objective is like, by the end, you're doing pretty all right. And hopefully the good outweighs the bad. But like, to, ever, nope. to live your life and be like, I am pure, that I believe is also a sin. So just <laughs> put it out there. Now, it comes to knowledge later, and we talk, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But what's not known at this point is how in debt this man actually is. And so it's my personal belief at this point, he decided to go all in on religion because he saw a way to make money out of it. What year he is this? 2020? Where? <laughs> 2020, 1891. It's all the same. 2016? Really. Yeah, 2016. Um, 2012? Yeah. I you mean, know, we can go- keep going back. <laughs> exactly. 1980? We can keep, we can keep doing this. Is there a, I mean, are you telling there a year me, you actually you can even me stop that people at, that really? label themselves as vile sinners are Guys, also no, no, the check same people? No, no, who, check it out, though. You know what? You know what year it's not going to be? 2021. <laughs> yeah, that's the year. <laughs> that's the year when everyone, everyone finally stops abusing religion to make that's money. It. That's <laughs> it. It's, it's it. over, <laughs> baby. Tomorrow. Uh, Jesus Christ, man. Literally. Uh, honestly, though, think about it. You're in super debt, 1890s, you're poor, and you go to this thing and you're watching the preachers stand in front of hundreds of people and they people are giving their money in tithes. Sure. Like, that's a huge part. I can't imagine not being like, how do I get in on this? So he has this epiphany in the middle of the night. He lets his whole neighborhood know. And from there on- He melts he into himself- a pile of tears. <laughs> and from there on, he himself became a- revivalist preacher uh this is literally kind of like the plot of this last season of perry mason on hbo yeah never i (laughs) never watched it i don't know yo you should it's great perry mason's great so from there on he himself became a revivalist preacher conducting meetings all through nebraska iowa illinois kansas oklahoma and colorado in his followers words benjamin was seen as quote Magnetic in personality, charismatic in delivery, able in mind, handsome in build, and and articulate in tongue. Through this time, he has had ascended to a sort of fame. He's an influencer. Is what you're saying? Huh? He's an influencer. He is. He's he's become a religious influencer. influencer. He's become a religious influencer. The truth of the matter, however, was that behind it all, he was as sinful as he was before. But his new stature now allowed him power, and that power gave him access to even more sinful things. Oh, influencers. He, yes. <laughs> let me, yeah, right? Like, what? Just, and he truly did love to indulge, as we'll continue to learn. <laughs> it's crazy. Like all, There's nothing new there under the sun. Everyone is, not, is still doing the same scams. This is like doing the same things. A hundred like years, years ago or later. some shit. How do you Unreal. slide into the DMs in 1895? 
<laughs> well, uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> this is how. <laughs> you really? Well, we will? <laughs> yeah, it's not real. There's no DMs. But like, he slept with a lot of people. Like all influencers slash semi-cult leaders. The uh, the he had to he had to eventually up his ante. His second experience was now years in his past, and he needed something new to excite the people around him and continue to stoke the fire in which they believed. In his words, he wanted quote even more intimate acquaintance with the living God end quote. And so his soul possessed a quote, or rather, he possessed a quote unspeakable soul hunger. Which to me kind of sounds like a weird like Final Fantasy move from a boss that like soul hunger yeah it reduces all your HP to one yeah some magic card exactly unspeakable soul hunger but in his search to find something to intensify not only his beliefs but the beliefs of his followers he happened upon the writings of Methodist theologian John Fletcher who spoke of of spiritual experience beyond the total sanctification. Which he described as, quote, having the sex baptism. with your followers. Oh, no. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, he actually, from all accounts, it does not seem like he slept with his followers for, for what it's worth, but he may have. Um, he would no, have lost them if he did. Like, he would have been like, oh. he basically, yeah. yeah. But whores, many. Mm, there you go. <laughs> um, uh, he basically, beyond total sanctification, this new experience was described as, quote, the baptism of burning love. Never mind. And, He's definitely banging his followers. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. He's <laughs> definitely in there. And on October 23rd, 1895, he experienced this third burning and wrote the following about his experience. Quote, I was in the room. Above me, a cross of pure, transparent fire it was all fire i have been able to see that cross in the same place above me every moment from that time to this no fire that was ever kindled in earth was half as pure so beautiful so divinely transparent as that in a few moments the whole room where we were lying seemed to be all luminous with a sevenfold light and a little later still the very heavens were all aglow with transparent flame the very walls of the room seemed to be on fire. Thinking that was the third experience. Dude, what? He's not quite. This guy is like <laughs> given this some poetic license. Yeah, he's really going ham with his experiences. For whatever reason, though, that was not enough. That wasn't enough to be his third awakening. Instead, two days later, on a train ride home, he was hit by that second wave of this third experience writing and this one's my favorite quote all at once i became conscious that i was literally on fire (laughs) this this expression may seem strange on uh on first glance but i cannot express it any other way everything about me seemed to be on fire actually burning (laughs) (laughs) blazing glowing (laughs) yes alex can i help you i just just he's he, on a train ride home. Remember, right? He's on a train, right? <laughs> and he's literally on fire, according to him. According to him, nobody's noticing. Apparently, though. <laughs> Just, I find it very funny that this guy who is a like preacher who's like one with the Lord. All of his visions are him burning eternally. And I'm just like, my dude, I feel like you are a way off base. <laughs> and then in- God appeared to me and I said, Lord, is it you? And he showed me his hooven legs and his big red body. And I said, God, and he said, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> and he said yes and he set my body on fire and the train burned down and i melted into a puddle of tears also another another crazy question just while we're on this i've been thinking about this the entire time because every time you're like and then a translucent cross of fire um i you know what question to just everyone out there just putting this out there uh when you have visions and you see across a burning fire one would assume that's like a heavenly sign, but wasn't the original symbol of Jesus like a fish? 
So my question is, <laughs> did they at some point workshop that? <laughs> like, was God like, all right, look, I want to do a fish, Jesus. Shit, fish shit. It looks like some <laughs> granola hippie shit. We got to clean this up. Make it a cross, guys. But sir, it was always a fish. Nope, nope. Times have changed. Dude, it's a cross now. What do you think they killed my son on, okay? Why don't you just get your shit together and start getting this thing going? The fish thing is stupid. It's dumb, dude. It looks like a freaking kid's drawing, dude. All right, what about a glass of wine? Dude, what are you trying to say, bro? What are you fucking trying to say about me, you dude? You saying my son's drunk? A drunk? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Oh my God. I don't know, man. Burning cross. He just wanted to be on fire. I, I think it was just a, a thing that he enjoyed when he discovered dynamite. I feel like, it, he's like I was the stick of dynamite. <laughs> Dude, I'm so ex- just, just wait. It gets better. Great. So everything about me seemed to be on fire, actually burning, blazing and glowing. I felt that I was in the midst of a fiery presence at no time in my life. Have I ever known or felt such unutterable bliss For five hours, I felt that I should certainly be consumed. And there I entered into an infinitely deeper and more wonderful rest than I have ever known before. This is him just like explaining that time he had sex behind like the Applebee's. (laughs) Seriously, listen to this. Oh, my God. This is what a preacher would say. I was witness to an Applebee's proposal once when I worked at Applebee's. I thought you were about to say, I saw people having sex at Applebee's. I was like, was the, dude, no. was the dude on fire who proposed? Was he literally no, he on did fire? It in the parking lot after dinner. Oh, man. I, can you imagine? We watched him through the front window. So he thought he was on fire for five hours? For five hours. So he got off that train like. <laughs> he was on fire. No, because, because during that five hours, at some point, he quote, entered into an infinitely deeper and more wonderful rest than I have ever known before. While he was still headed home? <laughs> While he was on fire. So he was just like on fire on the train and then he just passed out. He was just chilling on fire. He was, he was vibing on the, on the train <laughs> is what he was doing. He was chilling on fire. He was coming down. Okay. <laughs> All you can see um, is that stunt man in my head. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. Oh my God. <laughs> After this third experience, unsurprisingly... Benjamin began to preach this in holiness periodicals, self-published pamphlets. Preach what? Wait, preach what? The fire this new gospel? Experience. This experience. This, it is this so third, chill to be on fire, bros. Because he read about this experience, like the, the burning kind of like inner burning. But he took it to a level that was like literal to an extent that wasn't. And so he took this experience and then he began to preach about his experience in holiness periodicals self-published pamphlets <laughs> <laughs> literally Holy to an extent that wasn't dude <laughs> advertise like a shameless whore ain't that right jesse holiness That's what he's doing. periodicals i love holiness periodicals <laughs> i honestly this is in the 1890s I honestly, dude, you gotta respect the hustle like you know like yeah this is some hustle and of course he had loud <laughs> no, pen meetings that were attractions to huge throngs of believers <laughs> desperate to experience this supposed blessed fire baptism And soon, many began to claim that they truly have felt that blessed fire baptism. Here are some of the claims, quote, some said they felt fire burning in their souls, but others claimed it as a burning in their bodies also. It was felt in their tongue, fingers, palm of the hand, feet, in the side, in the arms. The church would seem to be lighted with fire. The trees of the wood would appear as flames of fire. The landscape would seem to be baptized in the glory of fire. Wow. This is this so is, weird. This Again, is the I don't know villain. how you see the world burning. You're like, God, God. I here. love this. I'm so These chill. are the villains. These are the villains in any Conan movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, the cult of fire. You know the, do- the, the dog that's chilling in the house and he thinks it's fine? Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's this guy. People. Yeah. Yep. That's it. <laughs> And Benjamin Irwin would could would also continue to push to whip these people into a frenzy, getting them to eventually speak in tongues, feel this burning, see fire around them, and even some of them getting, quote, the jerks. What are those? Those are when you start twitching around on the ground. Because you're so spasming, on fire. Because you're so overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. Okay. All right. I mean, this is like L.A. history, too. Like, I, I know he's not yeah, in L.A. For sure. But like... The- <laughs> They go to LA. They're in 
LA later this on. This literally <laughs> is the plot to Perry Mason. It's like speaking in like the speaking in tongues thing, like sort of came to a head in LA, like in the oh, in God. that time. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah, I get that. I I don't understand not- why somebody who follows Christianity or is is religious before this would ever like switch to this and be like, truly, this is the real version of what I've been. Because uh, as as I've read, it's just like there are there are lines in the Bible about speaking in tongues and how God gifted everybody the ability to speak in tongues, and they think that's the, what's happening to them. Yeah, but speaking it's, in tongues is one hundred percent not like every time yes, I see someone speak in tongues, I'm like, this is stupid. You and what about well, the freaking uh, the snake church too? That's a whole other thing. Here's the thing. Wait, I kind of love the snake church. I that's, like I'm like, kind of into the fire church. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's no, but great. the snake church, at least they're like, the snake will bite <laughs> me, but not poison me. And this, they're like, invisible fire is Dude, all around me you. Dude, give me in like, that gel. Gel me up, put on a couple layers of clothes, and we'll, I'll walk out of church like fucking <laughs> like an astronaut. Honestly, no. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> It doesn't Someone work if you that, can't please. see me, but can it. we get that drawing drawing of Alex in an astronaut suit walking I out of the church of snakes? No one, no one can see this, but Alex keeps doing the slow motion firewalk. Yeah. It's hilarious looking. <laughs> it's like on his arms. <laughs> oh, dude. Well, up to this point, though, but back on topic for a moment here, oh. you can see kind of like the rise of a cult leader, right? Constantly up in the ante, building his follower base, making whipping them into a frenzy. And it's at this point he makes another intelligent cult leader move. The cult needs enemies, and now he's starting to get them. As his message begins to spread, like any good cult leader, he eventually built enemies within uh, Christianity, and they began to throw insults his way. And the one that stuck around the most was, quote, he was a mystical renegade. That's sick. I would, I would, Isn't that sick? I'm gonna, That's what I I'm going to name myself, like, I'm going to name myself, like, my, if I make a comic book imprint, it's going to be <laughs> Mystical Renegade Comics. Right, like that's so cool. And then I was just like, man, that's the best insult you had. You called him a mystical renegade. That's like the same that- energy as that dude who's like, I'm going to say it. I don't care that you broke your elbow. It <laughs> <laughs> is the same energy. Same energy. <laughs> and through all of this, it, it, with with enemies, he could point to them and claim that see they're trying to stop the truth from coming out. Like any again, good conspiracy and en- enemies help sell to the most gullible. And through all of this opposition, he earned a new nickname. Benjamin Irwin was then adorned, uh, adorned quote the Apostle of Fire. This is a hundred percent sick. He it's ended his so life sick. as a fucking Dark Souls boss. He's sweet. I'm I'm it's signing so up for sick. the church. <laughs> Again, and this is, he is now 31 up to the point where we're about the to step into The ripe old age happened over six years. <laughs> the ripe old age of still younger than me. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, then, starting in 1896, he began a two-year crusade of preaching, upping his ante and bolstering his follower count the whole while, decrying all things tobacco, the use of slang language, Wearing prideful male adornments like neckties as sins. The use of slang language? The slang language and the adornment of neckties. Prideful male adornments like neckties. Actually, his quote about neckties is, I would rather have a rattlesnake around my neck than a tie. You know, I agree with him on that statement. (laughs) As well, he then continued to ban other things such as cigars, Coca-Cola and more. Coca-Cola? Yeah, he cut out Coca-Cola. That shit barely got invented, and he's already banning that shit? He's banned it right out the way. Out the, that was when there was cocaine. Yeah, I was about to say, shit. at the time, oh. there was actually coke in it. I feel like that's a yeah. plus, like, in, if I'm in the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, but not if you're trying to convince people that they're on fire, but not, like, actually on fire. Are you sure? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's talk about that right now, because at the end of that two-year crusade, by 1899... He had fully amped up his fiery rhetoric and introduced a brand new form of experience in baptism. He held baptisms of dynamite, lidite, selenite, and axidite. What the hell? Guaranteed to, quote, utterly demolish the strongholds of Satan and, quote, 
blast into atoms his deepest laid and most systemic plots and plans. And quote, shred your baby's body into a <laughs> drinkable paste. And simply quote, blow sin back to hell. Fuck the baby's body apart with a Dude, bomb. Imagine being like, all right, children, it's Sunday. Today we're making the trip to go see the Apostle of Fire so we can go blow sin right back to hell. I mean, at the time. So. Isn't that a sick field trip, though? It do, again, this does sound like a League of Legends character and these are his abilities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Can we riot? You want to talk to us? Let's Dynamite talk about baptism. Bring <laughs> back to the sin away with your <laughs> He stru- truly brought the love he discovered at nine years old and he brought it into his early 30s life. You know what? He had, be- he had been a lawyer. Like Men are just older boys. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I love. I, there's a part of me that like love, like is jealous of this man's life. Uh, what a wild time to to live in the late 1890s. Mathis, but we this, still have time. We have a podcast, an internationally recognized podcast, and all we need to do <laughs> is have you be like the Chaluma Master, and we're in. We're in <laughs> the Chaluma right, Master. Chaluma, if we can't, Chaluma Master. If we can't do better, Chalumanauts? if we can't do the better Ch- than Chaluma Master, we gotta <laughs> Chaluma Master. We gotta start. We gotta. Our cult. We gotta. We gotta, we gotta we gotta the workshop Chaluma that. Maester. Yeah, we gotta we gotta take it to the same guy who changed the fish to the cross. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. We need to cross right. it up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, a true religious marketing genius. Um, however, at this point, having clearly become somewhat of a danger, those within the religions <laughs> began to of a danger. <laughs> I will blast the sin off your body with dynamite. <laughs> the insults ramped up. Some suggesting that the only blessing Irwin lacked was the, quote, blessing of common sense. Damn. Damn. Sick burn. I can feel it from here. One priest was heard calling him a smelly nerdlinger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately for our dear Benjamin, his rise in, in uh, his rise in role as a, a semi cult leader was about to come to an end. In 1900, marked the year Irwin's large character and charismatic leadership tumbled to the ground. In the spring of 1900, his followers were rocked to their very core when news broke that Irwin had been seen in Omaha, drunk and smoking an enormous cigar. <laughs> <laughs> literally like in a bar chomping on a monstrous like uh stoking drinking like crazy man and uh that's what sinks him remember the good old because days when new- people would go down for doing the exact opposite of what they said that they were all about right remember that yeah. god that would that those were Wild. weird times almost fantasy like yeah. in a lot of ways uh now not only were the enemy religions getting in but preachers within his same belief started getting in and they dubbed him quote the whiskey baptized preacher End quote. Still cool. That's, not that, as, sounds, that not, sounds cool as shit. Not as right, cool as that, the mystical renegade, yeah. but I'm I'm into the whiskey. The whiskey. He, he, it's nuts. And like he rose and fell all in under 10 years. Like his rise and fall as a cult leader all in about like eight years and or so. And then on his 11th birthday, he had a chance. <laughs> yeah, and then on his 11th. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, once the dam sprung a leak, all sorts of truths poured forth. He was bereft of money. And all of the money he was taking in from his followers could no longer be accounted for. Further discovering, quote, Irwin's life for many years alternated between the pulpit and the harlot house. He would go from pulpit to wallow with harlots the rest of the night every time, end quote. So he would basically collect their money and then go blow it all instantly. Go get laid, go get drunk, and then go buy all kinds of shit. Um, having been dragged out in public for what he was, Benjamin would eventually confess to a life of, quote, open and gross sin. He dropped his titles and then disappeared from the public eye for years. Now, it's during this time that I'd rather not. I'm going to quickly just kind of go over the Pentecostal movement. I don't really need to go into crazy, but basically they saw that all of his followers were now no longer had a leader. And so what they ended up doing basically was coming in over the course of six years and recruiting all of his followers. And really all they changed was the baptism of fire experience. And they changed that to instead um, uh, 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 a baptism of speaking tongues. 
So no longer did, was the third experience you needing to like see fire everywhere. Instead, if you began to speak tongues and whatnot, um, that was that was now the new third experience. And all, a lot of his followers very easily converted over because there was very little difference um, in the two religions that he was preaching and the one that ended up taking over. This is important uh, for, for a few reasons. But six years later, after all of his followers were converted simply by changing that, that new experience, Erwin then resurfaced, completely taken with this brand new version of the religion. On Christmas Day in 1906, he renounced his former beliefs in the spiritual pyrotechnics and began speaking tongues, writing the following, quote, I felt my lips and tongue and jaw being used as they had never been used before. My vocal organs were in the hands and control of another, and the other was the divine par- paraclete within me. I think that's how you say that. He was beginning to speak through me in other tongues. He caused me to use words which I had never, ha- never heard or conceived of before. I was enabled to speak with greater fluency than I had ever spoken in my native English. Since that time, I have been used of God in speaking many times in Chinese, Hindustani, Bengali, Arabic, in other languages unknown to me, end quote. So that's what happened. He popped <clears> up. <throat> he was like, all right, fire's gone. I'll speak. And here's all the language I now can speak. How could you to get behind this guy again? He's like, oh, no, oh, no, no, uh, <laughs> the fire. That was bad. That, guys, come on. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I was sinning because the fire was bullshit. But this right. tongue shit, dude, I'm, take, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking Chinese, baby. <laughs> not only did he resurface, get rebaptized, and become accepted within the religion, but he would then go on to become an Azusa Street missionary, leading Pentecostal services from California to Oakland. However, the type of man and father he was underneath never truly changed. And in that six-year period, not much is known of what his life was like when he disappeared and resurfaced. However, when he reemerged, his first wife was gone and he had gotten remarried to Mary Lee Jordan and had three boys, all of whom would become criminals and one of whom would murder multiple times. Shortly after, Mary would discover that he had never divorced his first wife in secret what? and claimed, and he then claimed to be, quote, a slave to his passions. He ran off with a younger woman, abandoning Robert Irwin and his siblings and very religious mother to raise them on her own, but not without traumatizing them a little bit first. What? He beat them regularly, as was known, and he once again leaned on the bottle. Dude, and is even that after he scumbag. Left, wow. And even after he left, he made occasional returns and on one took young Robert Irwin at no more than 10 years old to the local whorehouse to introduce him to some nice ladies where he was left alone in a room while he and two other women went away for two hours. It wouldn't be until later on in his life that Robert understood what was going on, but that's the kind of father Benjamin was. Jesus Christ. And from there, dear Robert was raised alone. His brothers would both be in and out of prison, but he stuck to his mother for a long time. But his mother was a slave to religion, ignoring them, keeping he uh, once called his home nothing more than a, um, a shelter, not truly anything else. And one of the boys always had to rotate who slept on the porch that night as what it was not big hell? enough for them all to sleep. She gave all of her money to the church and they survived on what they could beg from from the local bakeries over the years as they grew up. Robbery, stealing. And a little mugging was something that the oldest boy, Vindolin, was very used to doing. And Pember would jump in and do that in his later life as well. Vindolin and Pember, you scallywags. You scallywags, you. But that's where we're going to leave the story for now. When we return next week, we'll explore all of Robert Irwin's life, the tragedy of what it was like to be raised in a cult similar And the brief moment he had an opportunity to leave a normal life and the moment we can see where he almost got out of it all. But instead, the zealot passions rushed through him and he believed he could teleport and God was speaking directly to him. This is absolutely wild. Next time. Absolutely wild so far. Woo!
And I am so excited to be doing another true crime episode. I hope you boys enjoyed that first episode. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> insane. I'm, I can't wait to find out what the hell happens next. <laughs> you all right, Jesse? I'm just speechless. That was, Good. I mean, I knew, of course, that was what was going to happen. Yeah. But like that man lived a truly awful, but utterly incredible life. It's very like, rare that a, a murderer or a serial killer has a parent who lived that kind of bizarre life first. It's so nuts. It's crazy. <laughs> for those who like true crime, I'm, I thank you for waiting. Honestly, after Ted Bundy, I just didn't want to do any more true crime for a while. Ted Bundy's that kind of like exhausting. finality of evil, yeah. exhausting, not entertaining. This is much more flamboyant. It's also like 134 years ago and the world was different. And yet still the same in a lot of ways, as we've learned. Um, but we will continue this next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Is there anything? Oh, thank you guys for selling out of Schlorp pins. Uh, and the, um, and the signed posters got sold out as well. That's nuts. Thank you guys. We've got another run of pins being made. Get your t-shirts while you can. They're not going to be, they're not going to be permanent. We're going to be taking those sheet t-shirts down soon, though. You will see the art in a different form. And we have a new, uh, kind of a collectible, uh, comic book cover cryptid t-shirt being developed right now. So, uh, so sick, grab it while dude. you can. So sick. Yeah. I, can't, I had no I idea it. we sold out of all that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. We sold out like in a couple weeks. Um, so definitely, you know, grab what you can when you can. The short plans will be back. Uh, and on the uh, Patreon, this upcoming month's digital art is but based on the gnome episode. So if you love the gnome episode, if you may want to see what the three of us plus Dodger look like as gnomes, jump in. It's a $20 tier. It's digital art every single uh, every single month. And you can grab the other uh, posters that have already been released out there for you. We love you guys very much. Thank you guys so much for support. We're going to go record a mini-sode. And we'll be back next week. Oh. Bye, everybody. Stay fly. Files. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside. And after a few moments, I hear my wife go, holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside. And she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up, too. And there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.